Okay, so we're starting to put this podcast together, and we're having some kind of technical difficulty. Our, our mics kind of You can actually, you can hear it just there. It was a little crackle. Sounds scratchy. And to give you a sense of what this looks like, we are in one room in a studio in front of two mics, and Lorna, our producer, is in another room behind glass. And, and Lorna, uh, can, you t- can you tell everybody what you told us to do to try and fix this? I ask you to growl into the microphones like this. Okay. How would that fix a broken microphone? It's it's really black magic, but back in the day when I started in at NPR, equipment that was used at the time would often um, develop some corrosion on the contacts, and we were told to either tap things on countertops uh-huh. or you know, bang them around a little bit to see if we could knock loose whatever little bits are on there. So re- by by doing like a big bear growl, we the theory goes, we could like blow out whatever corrosion is in, is stuck in the microphone. In theory, you know, it just, it, it sends enough voltage down the line that maybe something gets knocked loose and it works better. Well, uh, you know, it's black magic. It's dust bunnies. I don't know. So, so should we do that right now? Should we growl into our microphones and, and see if we can get rid of that crackle? Sure. All right. You, right. you want to go first? Sure. <clears throat> uh, what are you doing? This is How to Do Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Hey, Lou. What can we help you with? Um, so my girlfriend, she's she seems to m- maintain an electric shock, you know, more than most people. And she's always shocking people, you know, when she touches them. But she also shocks me when she kisses me oh. on the lips. You you get like a like a little jolt. Like a jolt, yeah. You know, you know the standard standard thing you might get, you know, on your hand when you touch someone who's got that. Yeah. But you know, when it's your when it's the morning and you know it's your face, you're not really expecting it, so it's a little surprising. How, how long has this been going on? Uh, you know, I guess pretty much since we've been dating, but I did, I mean, it was just a couple of years now, but I didn't notice, didn't really notice it until recently. Yeah. Could it be that you guys are just super in love and that's where it's coming I, from? I would say that's a possibility, except for that she shocks everyone, <laughs> okay. you know, with, the, with what she touches them. So I'd, w- I'd wish it was that, but I think it's more that just she's, you know, I don't know if she's, she's Japanese, so she doesn't wear shoes in the house. So I don't know if the... Oh. Taking away those insulators, you know, somehow is giving her an extra charge. Yeah. Well, Lou, we're going to do what we can to try and get to the bottom of this. Great. All right. I I think we have somebody who can help out Lou. Yeah. Astrophysicist and MIT professor, Dr. Walter Lewin. Now, uh, all of us have been shocked whether, you know, whether your girlfriend carries around a, a spark or just touching your car or doorknobs. or Getting things. clothes out of the dryer. It's always horrible. Dr. Lewin has a way to keep this from ever happening to you again, a real solution. So we're going to call him right now. Walter Lewin. Hello, sir. It's uh, Ian and Mike. So we have a question from Lou. Uh, His girlfriend, he gets a shock every time he kisses his girlfriend. Yeah, even that can happen, sure. And and he says uh, there's something particular about her. Is it possible that... One person might hold a charge better than another? Yeah, that is possible, well, because if one was walking on bare feet and the other one would not, uh, then that might be a huge difference. The one who would be walking on bare feet or very thin soles 
would hold much less charge than one who would be walking on very thick rubber soles. Just one example that comes to my mind. Well, he, here in the now, I will I will teach you a way how what they can do that if they touch the doorknob, that neither one will feel a shock. And, and this is not just a theory. A friend of mine in 1979 was very sensitive to the shocks when he touched the doorknob. And I solved that problem for him. Because listen what I said. If you touch the doorknob and you are negatively charged and there's a huge voltage difference between you and the doorknob, could be 5,000 volts, then your electrons from you in a matter of a millisecond will flow to the door. That is a high current because the time of the discharge is very small. Right. How can you make that time larger? I gave the man a 10 cent resistor of 10 mega ohms, which cost me only 10 cents. Okay. And every time that he left the room, he touched first the 10 mega ohm resistor to the doorknob. So he had one end in his hand, and the other end he touched the doorknob. Then the time for the discharge becomes a million times larger than a millisecond, so the current is near zero, and he feels nothing. So it is an unpractical situation for people to always carry on them a mega-ohm or a 10-mega-ohm resistor. But I can assure you that I do. And if I have any worries that the shocks become unbearable, I use this phenomenon that whatever I touch, even if it is my car or it is the door, or even if it is another person that walks into my office, I first touch him with a 10 mega ohm resistor, and then we discharge, <laughs> and neither one of us gets a shock. This is so interesting because uh, sort of hidden in the science here is an important message for their relationship. Uh, I think Lou might think that it's his girlfriend who is constantly carrying around this spark and that it's, you know, it's her problem. But what you're saying is it's really the relationship between each of their charges, that they are both equally to blame for this shock that happens when they kiss. Yeah, and of course the reason why the kiss is very unpleasant because your, your lips are extraordinarily sensitive. Well, Dr. Lewin, it just, it, it sounds kind of, it doesn't sound romantic to have to discharge yourself with this <laughs> yeah. resistor. There are a lot of things when you have sex and you wear a condom that's not very romantic either. Yeah. But listen, uh, you've got to pay a price for this. In other words, if they really want to kill this, these sparks, if it really is a big thing for them, then they should go through the trouble of either uh, making an incredibly accurate uh, inventory of who is wearing what, which is un unreasonable. Mm -hmm. Is her underwear nylon? Is his underwear cotton? <laughs> that could make a difference. Totally unpractical, right? Yeah. yeah. So I would say the 10 mega ohm resistor is an extraordinarily easy solution. I don't think that it is unromantic. Come on. Well, uh, it, it, it's such a minor thing. And in a way, if you're a scientist, it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, it's a practical application uh, used in a romantic uh, situation. 
let's just discharge each other first uh, <laughs> of a possible potential difference. That sounds like and a pickup can, line. And they can do that a few times a day. So, but Dr. Lewin, we've, so we've talked about the science. Is it possible that this spark that happens when they kiss is the result of true love? <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. It has nothing to do with love because love doesn't generate any potential difference. Yeah, okay. Nothing. If they think that, leave them with that, <laughs> leave them with that idea because then if the shock is huge they think they love each other more it is total nonsense it's other nonsense it's not even nonsense it's worse than that <laughs> well dr lewin thank you so much for uh, for answering this question and i hope that lou and his girlfriend are able to solve this problem uh, using this information yeah so they go to an electronic store and they buy five five uh, i would say 10 mega ohm resistors okay okay i hope uh, it was useful You know, uh, whether or not uh, the, your significant other is a superhero who can shock anything he or she touches. Or maybe you're dating somebody who has both braces and batteries in their mouth. Uh, we are here to help with any of your questions, uh, electricity related or not. Send us your questions. You can send them to us at howto at npr.org. We are we are sort of dethawing from the the polar vortex, as are many of you. That's what the that's the proper name for the recent cold spell that our country experienced. And uh, to me, I, the first thing I thought was uh, it sounds like a wrestling move. Yeah, could also be a drink. Here's bartender Sarah Vanderhaar from the Old Town Social with a recipe for the polar vortex cocktail. And we asked her to only use ingredients uh, you would have in your home uh, if you were stuck there and couldn't go to the grocery store. Assuming you're an old whiskey bootlegger. Yep. So we're going to start out with a bourbon, uh, three ounces of, I chose Maker's Mark. After that, we are going to have two dashes of cinnamon. You can always add more cinnamon if you'd like more of a spice kick on it. Then we're going to do one dash of allspice. After that, we're going to have one to maybe two to three drops of vanilla extract. Uh, Be very careful not to put too much because it is a very, very strong flavor. Now we're gonna do about one teaspoon of brown sugar. If you're using a little bit more of a bitter bourbon, like Jack Daniels per se, I would say use maybe a little bit more brown sugar, but you can always add more to taste. And now we're gonna fill the cup with water, hot water to kind of give it that, that warming feeling. Now after we stir, you can add two to three drops of honey. I use the gave nectar, any basically sweetener you have in your house, the liquid sweetener. Then we take a lemon, which almost everyone has in their kitchen, and you can just cut a little slice off and just rim the glass with the lemon and just use it as a garnish. And then add a little cinnamon stick if you have cinnamon sticks, just to make it pretty and fun. And that's how you survive a polar vortex. Madagascar, uh, you probably know, has a new president-elect. And you probably also know that he has a name that has about 50 50 letters in it, and it's almost impossible to pronounce. Uh, Online with us now to help is our uh, kind of our resident pronouncer, Neil Sleet. Neil, you want to give it a go? All right, here goes. Um, 
Martial, record one, Manana, Ranzuna, Mampian. Wow. It's I have quite no, long. I have no idea if uh, the way you said that is actually correct, but it, it sounded correct. I think it's pretty good. I, we, we have, there's two alternatives. We think Malagasy speakers might put an A at the end of the main name. There is one in the spelling. But in the pronunciation we've been given, it's silent, along with a couple of other syllables as well. Neil, when you're pronouncing a name like this, a really long, long name that's almost a, a short sentence, and you get it wrong, and you know as you're going through it that you've made a mistake, <laughs> is it worse to stop and go back and start again? It's easier on ordinary words that people are expecting to hear, just your everyday, you know, the, and, but, uh, through, more so over, whatever. If you get something wrong... People almost, if you just keep going, people fill in what they wanted to hear. So you can get away with stumbling like that. So yeah. it's best not to stop, don't stop. Uh, with a name like this, it would depend if I was broadcasting to Madagascar or not. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't, I wouldn't worry too much. I think I'd keep going. Can we try it? Can we hear it one more time, Neil? I'll try. Air Martial, Rakudwa Manana, Ranzuna Mampian. Okay. Hi, this is Tiffany, and I listen to How to Do Everything While Emasculating Wheat for the Perennial Wheat Breeding Project at the Land Institute. All right, Tiffany, these next 15 seconds are for you. You remember me when the west wind moves on the what, how, do, how do you think you emasculate wheat? I mean, it's something that I don't know a lot about, and I think I don't need to know a lot about it. I just imagine her walking around this field, just, uh... No, 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 I, don't worry, I, I can change the oil, you know. Oh, thank you, honey, for massaging the kale. Hey, Wheat, I, uh, I bought you this cardigan. Well, that does it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I, I learned my entire life up to this point. I, I've been shocked by so many things. I've been shocked by, by people, by cats, by my car, by doorknobs. All of this, it, it was pain. I didn't need to be suffering. It, it costs less than a dollar, the solution. Yeah, just a simple 10 mega ohm resistor. What the hell is that? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, I, I, I'm putting in my order for a 10 mega ohm resistor. Mm -hmm. I, I'm never going to be shocked again. I feel like uh, I'm bringing a new, maybe, problem into my life. What's that? Well, it's, uh, it's an awkward moment. Oh, uh, great, great to meet you. Uh, let me touch you with this small scientific instrument. The only downside I could see is that if it makes you, um, if it desensitizes you to all shocks. So yeah. even if you see something, you know, really scandalous, you're just, you, you're completely indifferent to it. Yeah. Be, it would be good if they had had that in Iraq. All I'm getting is awe. I'm not getting any, any shock whatsoever. Let go of the resistor, Saddam. How to Do Everything was produced by Stephen Tobias, our new uh, full-time uh, real producer. He's gone from a boy to a man. We've watched it happen. It all happened so fast. It feels like just yesterday he was our intern. We really got to get him off the passy. It calms him so. It does. Technical direction from Lorna White. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> I can't stop laughing.